Happy Valentine's Day, Chi Alpha. I can't think of any better way to spend this holiday than together at Lang. Amen and amen. And also we have candy for not single people at the party as well. It's not just for people who didn't get a party or a gift from someone else. My name is Derek and I'm the director here of Chi Alpha. This is your first time with us. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and coming to spend your holiday here. Not only is today Valentine's Day, but it's also the day we start our new sermon series entitled Getting Together. Like we are never ever getting back together. In case you're curious, every single year my dating sermon series is based off a Taylor Swift song. So next year with the 1989 album, we got a lot of things to look forward to. What we're going to do is we'll spend these next four weeks thinking about love and dating, sex, marriage, talking about all these things and how we do them well as a member of the kingdom of God. A lot of the ideas we talk about over the next month are actually stolen from a guy named John Mark Comer, and he has a book called Loveology, so he gets the credit. I'm just the one who's regurgitating the information. Something that makes these topics so difficult to talk about is for a lot of them, the Bible doesn't actually have a lot to say. For some of them, such as like marriage and sex, the Bible's got a lot to say, so that'll make it easier. But the topic tonight is dating, and good news, dating was not invented when the Bible was written. So the term dating was actually coined by a Chicago newspaper columnist named George Aid in 1896, much later than when our Bibles were written. So in biblical time, marriages were arranged, and although that might be easier than modern dating, I don't think many of us want to go back to the idea of our parents choosing our spouse. So what started as, some people are like, mm-hmm, I'm ready for it, but anyways, what started as arranged marriages turned to courtship, where men would court women through their families, which then turned into dating, through doing things like going to drive-in movies, and this has slowly evolved over the past hundred years to where most of romance actually now is not in the form of dating, but rather in the form of hookup culture and Tinder. We've gone from our mate being chosen to the never-ending search for a soulmate to just swiping right or left. This comes from this idea that pleasure is king in life, that life is about making myself have momentary happiness, that it's my body, I can do what I want. And we think that nothing is hurt when we seek fulfillment through making out with whoever we want, hooking up, texting a lot of people. We think it's just fun. What's the harm? It feels good, so why not do it? And even though we live in a culture where Tinder is king, I do think deep down Many of us want something more. I don't think we want a one-night stand. I don't think our ultimate aim, deep down, is just sexual pleasure. We want something more than to have five girls that were Snapchatting at the exact same time when zero depth is being fostered. We want something more than the never-ending deep dive into the pool of singleness. We don't want to be texting each other without personal interaction forever, even though the first interaction is a little awkward after that. We want something more. I don't think we actually want the artificiality of hookup culture. I think deep down we crave authenticity. We want true love. And although our culture has graduated from fairy tales, I think in actuality we're still longing to find our Prince Charming or Sleeping Beauty. We want to date well. And as Jesus followers, this is imperative. Our potential marriages, our bodies, our sexualities are insanely important to Jesus. So much is impacted by this idea of our sex and dating lives. And although the Bible doesn't say a lot about dating, there is a story in the Old Testament that shows a man trying to find his wife. In the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and if you want, you have a Bible, you can turn there, we read the story of Abraham and his family. Abraham was given a promise from God. God told Abraham that he was going to become the father of many nations, that he would be the chosen people of God would actually come from his family. But there's a problem at the point of the story that we enter tonight. He was widowed, and his only son was single. We don't know this exactly, but I'm going to go out on a limb 
and say that his son Isaac lacked what I think I've heard you guys call like W. Riz or something like that, right? Is that, is that correct? Dunky Dunk knows what I'm talking about. He, he Duncan doesn't lack it, but that's all right. <laughs> He's like, amen, ladies. So I think Riz is like the ability to like get people to date you. I don't really know, but I think Isaac lacked the Riz, and you're all like, what's up, homie? I'm cool. Yeah, I'm relevant. Only 26. Come on. I think Isaac needed some help from his dad in order to find a spouse. So this is what we read in Genesis chapter 24. Listen to this. Now Abraham was old. He's well advanced in years. The Lord had blessed him in all things. Abraham said to his servant, who had charge of all that he had, he said, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman might not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to you, you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of the heavens, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. The sermon title tonight is Attraction. Let's pray, though. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, God, and I pray that you'll give us a good, clear picture of what dating looks like in our culture. your name, amen. Growing up, I had a few different romantic relationships. I wasn't necessarily handsome, but I made up for it because I had some sly texting skills on my Motorola Crazer, and I had that phone that had like the swipe up keyboard for like the parents who were too cheap to buy the first uh, iPhone, so I had that little bad boy. You guys like, that's how old. Okay, it slid open, and it was cool. And in the eighth grade, I met this girl in my living skills class. And something about the way that I was absolutely terrible at cooking, sewing, and everything in that class, something about my complete incompetence and lack of any skills that had to help me live, made her swoon. I remember creeping on her on Facebook, messaging her, slid right into her DMs, and eventually we start dating, and I'm having a good time. But then she starts to get a little serious. She's like, hey, we should actually go on a date or something. She wanted to like hold hands in the hallway. And then she took it one step too far when she said, hey, we should sit together at lunch sometimes. And to me, that was like, oh, that's a big deal. And when she asked me this question, I decided this wasn't it. I was not ready for this level of seriousness in a relationship. I'm only 13. So I broke it off. When this girl wanted to get more serious, I had to ask myself, a very important question. Am I ready? And this is the first question that we should ask ourselves as we adventure down this journey of dating. And before we go any further, I do want to explain something that I'm about to tell you the ideal situation when it comes to dating and paint you what the picture should look like. This does not come from a place of judgment, but rather from someone who's made a lot of mistakes. God can use relationships that don't fit this ideal, right? So I'm not saying that if you're in a relationship or you're married that you're destined for failure because you didn't do it this way or that your parents' marriages aren't valid. I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying is that even though God can use imperfect things for good, why don't we set ourselves up for success and do things God's way the first time so we don't have to pay for the mistakes later? Anyways, the book of Proverbs, it's a collection of sayings to help us live wisely. And in the Proverbs, it says this, Proverbs 24, 27, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. What it's saying here, so first it says, get everything ready for yourself in the field. Farming was their complete livelihood in this time. So when it says get yourself ready in the field, it's basically say get all of your affairs in order, get yourself ready. And then it says build your house. What that means is like build your family. Your house was your family, your people. So what he's getting at is saying before you settle down with a family, you should have your life in some kind of order. You need to be ready. 
What this is saying is when you start dating, you don't need to just be ready for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You need to be ready to have a husband or a wife. Dating just to date for fun is very unwise. The whole purpose of dating, the reason it was invented, was to help you find your spouse. When we date just for fun, we don't take it seriously, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of hurt. See, God did not design us to have a ton of partners that we just attach ourselves to. When you date just for fun, you might fall into some kind of sexual sin, which will be damaging. You might unwisely attach yourself to someone on an emotional level that's not your spouse, which will create a lot of problems in the future. That person might even be someone else's future spouse, and you're creating problems for their future. You're just making life harder for yourself. Dating just to date is not from the Lord. John Mark Comer says, all healthy relationships are either moving toward or away from marriage. Dating to date is stupid. He's a little bit more blunt than I am. It's a waste of your heart and it's a waste of time. You are not looking for a boyfriend or girlfriend. You're looking for a husband or a wife. Hear me. This does not mean that before you go on a date with someone, you need to know whether they're the one. This does not mean that you should get married two weeks after dating. Please do not do that. Although you might think that's what we preach in Chi Alpha, that is not what I've ever preached in Chi Alpha. No one just listens to me. That's not my fault. Blame them. I waited a really long, never mind, I was, that was a lie. Anyways, what this means is before you start dating, you need to be in a place where you're ready to get married relatively soon. So the question is, are you ready to get married? If not, you're probably not ready to start dating. If you're 12 years old and dating, you got to ask yourself, where is this going? To know if you're ready to get married, there's some things that you should probably have an idea on. Number one, you should probably have an idea of your future. You don't even know everything, but like the big rocks. For example, if you feel called to go be a missionary to Turkey, you probably shouldn't date someone who feels called to live in Iowa forever and be a teacher. That doesn't make, eventually in the future, I think there'll be some conflict, right? That might be hard when one of you's in Turkey, one of you's here. So you should probably know the big things. But in order to have those kind of conversations, you have to have some kind of idea of what your future looks like. More than just your future, though, a huge part of being married is being healthy spiritually. It's pushing each other spiritually. If you want to be in a healthy marriage, you have to be a healthy follower of God. So before you start dating, you need to be healthy spiritually and ready to push someone else. This means that if you just started following Jesus this school year, you might not be ready to start dating just yet. You might need to dedicate some time to growing as a follower of Jesus on your own before you start worrying about doing it in a relationship. If you struggle to spend time with Jesus on your own right now, if you struggle to have a kind, pure, clean heart, if living a holy life is hard right now, being in a relationship is just going to make that even harder because you'll be faced with more temptations, you'll have less time, and more things to worry about. This is especially true with sexual sin. Dating's hard. Dating and remaining sexually pure is even more challenging. This becomes even more difficult if you have personal purity issues such as masturbation or pornography. When you bring those sin issues into a dating relationship, you're setting yourself up for failure. So before you enter into the dating world, it's a good idea to have started the process of overcoming personal purity sin issues. This looks like you've been vulnerable with people about your struggles. You have accountability set up, and you've seen some freedom. I'm just going to be honest with you guys, and I'm pretty blunt tonight. Here we go. If you're watching porn every day or every couple days, you're probably not in the best place to start dating. That's just going to set you up for failure in the future. You need to see some personal breakthrough first, not as legalism, but just as a wise way to live your life. Be patient before you dive into dating. Not only do you need to be ready spiritually, but we also have to ask ourselves, are we ready emotionally? Meaning, have you healed from past pain? 
If you've experienced a traumatic relationship in the past or you just had a hard breakup, you need to make sure to process through that before you jump into a new relationship. You don't want to enter into a new relationship if you haven't dealt with the pain from your last one. That's not fair to anyone. Wounds take time to heal. So if you're freshly out of a relationship, calm down. Texting a new person a week after getting out of an old relationship is probably not God's best. I think God's smart enough that he might wait for you to meet your spouse until more than like 20 minutes after you just broke up with your last boyfriend or girlfriend. You got to ask yourself, if you're dating someone a month after getting out of a two-year relationship, is this wise? Before entering into a new relationship, you need to heal from the wounds of the past. And also, you need to make sure you don't have any feelings for a past partner. Because if so, that's not fair to your future. If you have any feelings for a past partner, you are not ready for a new relationship. I'm going to take you guys back in time tonight. We're going back to 2012 first. Specifically, we're going to church camp 2012. Church camp is just a week. For those who did not grow up going to church camp, you were blessed and highly favored. Anyways, church camp is a week where a bunch of teenagers, they just, from various churches, they come together to learn about Jesus. Well, that's the intention. To many, though, this week is the week they find their soulmate. I think a lot of teachers do not walk in this week like, I'm going to grow closer to the Father. And I'm going to become holy. You know, they're like, I'm about to boo up left and right. This week's going to change my life. And I was no exception to this whatsoever. I remember the summer after my ninth grade year. I was on the green team because they split us up into teams to play these games. I remember looking around when we got our team together. I saw her. She's the one. I'm going to marry this girl. I thought we're definitely getting together. I spent the week watching her win games for our team. I didn't talk to her, but I observed, and I prayed, and I was convinced. Then the last day of camp comes, just for some backstory, I wasn't the most coordinated kid in the world. I wasn't very good at the games we're playing, so I didn't like participate a whole lot. And we're in one of the last games, which is this individual obstacle course, and I remember this, this is one of my most vivid memories in my life. She looks at me, and I must have been like staring at her because she started making like, I was like, oh, sorry, I was looking at you. She was much taller than me. And she looked at me. She's like, hey, little buddy, do you want to try a turn? I was ruined. See, I thought that we were definitely getting together, but she thought never, ever, ever are we going to get together. I was so crushed. She viewed me as a little buddy. See, I should have probably seen this coming. She was a senior in high school. I was a freshman. <laughs> she was tall and pretty. I was rather short and goofy looking. I was ready to make her my number one. She was the person I was looking for, but I was not quite the person she was looking for. So before we start dating, we should probably ask ourselves this question. Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Basically, this means, this is kind of weird, but go with me on a trip. Would you date the opposite gender version of yourself? For example, are you healthy enough spiritually as you want your future spouse to be? If your relationship with God is not the place that you want your future spouse's relationship with God to be, you should ask yourself some questions, right? Are you healed enough from a prior relationship as you want your future partner to be? Are you as free from sexual sin as you want your future partner to be? Is your identity in Christ or what others think of you because you want your future partner to have your, their identity in Christ? Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you as ready to be in a relationship as you hope your future spouse is? If not, if you're not quite there yet, that's okay. It's just probably not time to start dating. 
But if so, if you're like, I am the person the person I'm looking for is looking for, I'm awesome. If that's you, we'll pray for you in the back later. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's okay to, no, no. If that's you, you can begin to explore dating. Eventually, when you start this exploration, you're going to meet someone, you're going to see them across the lang hall. You're like, what's up, baby girl? You worship nice. And you'll be excited. You're like, boy, are they cute. And they're going to make your heart go like pitter-patters. Be like Caleb's bass drum, like bum, 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 bum. And they might be the one. So then you need to ask yourself this question. Are they the right one? So am I ready? Next, when you meet someone, are they the right one? This takes us back to the story of Isaac. Remember that we read Abraham telling his servant that he must find his son Isaac, a wife from his kindred, from his people, from his family. Abraham wants his son to marry one of his people. And this is actually the number one thing we need to look for when we're trying to discern if a person is the person we're supposed to date. We need to know, are they in the family, the family of God? Are they a follower of Jesus? Are they in the family of God? If you follow Jesus, you should not even entertain the idea of dating someone who does not follow Jesus. Dating someone with different values and religious ideas from you is not laying a very healthy foundation for your future. Hear me, I would tell a Muslim, you should date and marry a Muslim. Just like I'm going to tell a Jesus follower, you should date and marry a Jesus follower. One of the worst decisions you could make is to date someone who does not love Jesus if you love Jesus. Missionary dating is this idea that you'll date someone with the hope that they'll change. You're like a missionary to their heart. What a great way to start a relationship with someone. I hope you change something foundational about yourself before we're good. you're good enough for me. That's some great solid footing to start the relationship, right? No. And if they don't already love Jesus, more likely than not, you are not attractive enough to change that for them. And if they do change it, you must wonder, just how authentic was that change? Was it because they fell in love with Jesus or because they thought you looked real good? Hmm. Everyone gets a little more tense when I get to this part. It's all right. Here's the thing, though. Someone identifying as a Christian does not mean they're really in the family of God. If you are madly in love with Jesus, if you are on a path of becoming more like Jesus, you need to find someone who's running just as hard after God as you are. So I guess the real question to ask is, am I, are they really in the family of God? Under no circumstances do I think it is Wise to even entertain the thought of dating someone who does not love Jesus as much as you do. I like to think of life with God as running a race on a track. Our goal is to get to the finish line. And as we do that, we want to accomplish everything that God has for our lives. When you're dating and later married, the goal of the relationship is that you will run alongside each other, pushing each other to run faster after God, pushing each other, growing like one step in front of the next, like you're going back and forth until you can run together. However, if you're dating someone who does not love Jesus or running as hard after God as you are, what you'll continually be doing is running and then realizing that you're alone, so you have to turn around and come and drag them with you to come and follow Jesus. That'll not only slow you down as you're trying to run after Jesus, it's also going to cause a lot of strain in your relationship as you're trying to force them to do something they don't want to do. If they are not running the race as fast as you are, then they probably shouldn't be your running partner. Something I love about my wife, Taylor, is that she pushes me to love Jesus. Every morning I come out of my room 
and she is up at 5 in the morning or 5.15 when she clicks snooze. She's pregnant now, so it's more like 5.30, but that's all right. <laughs> every morning I come out, and she's reading the Bible in our living room. Every single morning without fail, she's pursuing Jesus. I would hate it if I did, like, hey, Taylor, will you get up and actually love Jesus now? It sounds terrible. No, she helps me become a better follower of Jesus because I'm like, oh, I better get up early too. So before you start dating someone, you must ask yourself, does this person love Jesus more than they'll ever love me? If the answer is no, your relationship's not on solid ground. The reason being, if someone loves you more than they love Jesus, or if they don't love Jesus as much as you do, what they're going to do is they're going to place their identity and foundation in you. So instead of God being the center of the universe, you will become the center of the universe. And here's the deal. None of us are good enough to be someone else's entire world. If people are seeking their value or their identity through or their romantic relationship with you, they will never be fulfilled because you aren't good enough to fulfill them. Your relationship is not good enough to fulfill them. So then they're going to be striving for something that you can never give them, which is going to lead to bitterness after bitterness in your relationship, all because you want to date someone that's attractive but didn't actually love Jesus. That doesn't seem worth it to me. But you do you. Going back to our story, Abraham's servant, he goes out to find Isaac a wife, and then he stops and he prays. It says in Genesis 24, 12, he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. This is actually the very first time that we see someone asking God for guidance for anything in their lives, first time ever. What we're learning here is that before we date and enter a relationship, we should ask God what he thinks. Who we date and eventually marry is probably the second most important decision we'll ever make after we give our lives to Jesus. It's a lifelong commitment. However, if I'm honest, I think sometimes we pray and think more about what apartment to live in, what campus ministry to go to, or what shoes to wear than we do who we should date and spend our time with in text. One important thing to note is he prays after he decides to find someone in the family of God. Like, he doesn't pray, God, maybe show me someone who doesn't love you. No, that's decided before he prays. God's never going to speak to you that you should date someone who doesn't love him. That just doesn't seem wise to me. Anyways, we'll keep going. After going to this place where he could find someone in God's family, and after he asks God for guidance, he looks for one more quality. He says this, Behold, I am standing by the spring of the water. This is the servant speaking. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I might drink. And who shall say, basically back to them, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So Rebecca, who goes on to become Isaac's wife, when she meets this servant, she says exactly what the servant asked God for her to say. So one part of this is the servant was asking to hear from God. He wanted a sign from God that this person was the right one, so he wanted her to speak the same words that he said. But it's more than just him seeking for a sign. What the, sermon is, or what the servant is asking for is a woman to come and offer to fill up the water jugs for his camels. Camels drink up to 25 gallons of water. So finding a woman that'd be willing to get that much water for 10 camels is astounding. It meant the woman was working hard. See, the servant wasn't just looking for a sign from God. He was looking for a woman of godly character. So after you find out if they're the right one, the next keep going is, are they a person of godly character? Are they in the family? Do they have character? This means we need to date people that we not only find attractive, but that have good hearts, that are hardworking, that are kind, that are caring. Obviously, they love Jesus. They're disciplined. 
Gary Thomas says in his book, The Sacred Search, that we are to look for people who inspire us toward godliness, who will confront us when we go astray, who will forgive us when we mess up, and you will mess up a lot, who can encourage us with wisdom when we are uncertain how to proceed. This is so important. When you are seeking someone to date, they must have godly character, not just God on their Instagram bio. You need to find someone of character because that's your decision of who you're dating is not just impacting you. When you are pursuing someone, you have to recognize you're not only looking for your future partner. If you get married to them, you're looking for your future children's parent. So a good question to ask yourself when you're dating someone is, would I want my future kid's parent to be like this? Do I want my future kid's parents to be godly or worldly? Do I want them to be fun, enjoyable to be around, or just really attractive when they're 22? Do you want them to be involved or distracted? Here's the deal. might be kind of cute when you're in college to be like, yeah, he skips class and doesn't get his homework done. Ha, <laughs> he's so funny. Or like, he just plays video games all day. I love watching him. He stays up all night. This gets less funny when your partner's laziness and lack of discipline means you can't pay your bills. When they care more about video games than they care about your kids. Eight hours of video game a day is not attractive. It's not really cute when they can't get a job and you have to provide for that couch potato. Amen. If he never gets his homework done now, why is he going to help your kids get their homework done later? Newsflash, he ain't. Laziness is not cute. Gosh. Amen. Dang right, ladies. Men stink. I'll get more to that later. Here's the deal. We need to be looking for more than just physical attraction when we're dating because looks are going to fade everyone's getting ugly. It's happening. A person of character, though, that loves Jesus, that'll matter when you're old. But that said, though, you should probably find the person attractive. Like, don't date someone that, like, repulses you and makes you want to vomit every time you see them. Even if they love Jesus a lot and they have, like, a good heart, but if you don't like looking at them, then probably don't date them because, see, after dating comes marriage, then comes some action that's physical intimacy, and you kind of want to enjoy that, and it's fun. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, so I promise you, you want to find them attractive. My senior year of high school, I dated a girl that was very, very wrong for me. My first red flag that I should have paid attention to is my mom couldn't stand her. And I explained away, like, my mom doesn't understand. She doesn't get her. But reality was she saw the situation much more clearly than I did. Because romance is powerful. This is important. Listen to this. Romance is so powerful that neurologically, it actually does more to your brain than your sex drive does. Romance or infatuated, infatuation with someone clouds your judgment. Neurolo- neuroscientists say that when we are infatuated with someone, we create someone who doesn't actually exist. We're so in love that we make excuses for all their faults and we glorify all their strengths. You ever see those relationships where the girl's really pretty and kind and has a sweetheart and she's dating this goofy-looking dirtbag and everyone's super confused? As the hit Netflix show that I may or may not have binged with Taylor says, love is blind. Don't watch the show. It's real naughty. Uh, Not that I've watched it. Anyways. (laughs) Jesus, forgive me. Anyways. This girl is so infatuated that she has bad judgment. When our brains are overwhelmed with infatuation or romance, we start to make excuses for the people we're interested in so they can fit the box of who we want them to be, but that's not who they actually are. For example, let's say you love Jesus and you're interested in this guy, but he never comes to Chi Alpha, never goes to church or small group, and from the outside, his lifestyle looks like he doesn't actually love Jesus. And it's obvious to everyone but you. 
But you and you say, guys, you just don't get it. He loves Jesus in his own way. He prays before his big test, guys. Believe me, I heard it once. He's spiritual, just not the way you think he should be spiritual. No, he's not. He probably stinks and you're overlooking it because he's got a nice six-pack, okay? Let's just be honest about it. That man better love Jesus or he has no right to even look at you, let alone date you, let alone be your husband. And I'll fight him if he tries to. Anyways, let's roll reverse. Not all men are evil. When a girl's dating a guy, let's imagine this picture, but she's like a jerk. She's constantly fighting with everyone. She's like cussed up a storm in the piazza. She's like, get out of my way while they go to grab the apples. And she's always nagging the guy. But then he says, I know she seems mean and controlling, but it comes from love. She's just passionate. I know I'm not like happy when I'm with her, but you don't get it. Deep down, she's kind sometimes. There's this one time when she let me hang out with my friends on the weekend. I mean, she went home to see her grandma, but it was really nice of her. No, quit lying to yourself. Do not explain away red flags. We must listen to the people around us when we're looking for a partner. Newsflash, it doesn't actually impact your friends and family if you end up dating them. It's almost like they care about you and they love you and they want what's best for you. It's almost like they don't have like a betting game against you dating that person. Why would they care? They're only doing it because they love you. Maybe they're just onto something and you just don't see it because you think they're really attractive. Have standards for yourself. So like example, if while you're texting someone, they're also messaging other people, gone. If they try to get you to cross sexual boundaries, gone. If they don't push you closer to Jesus, gone. If you met them at a party or at Sharky's, first of all, get yourself out of there. You are a child of God. You do not belong in there. But second of all, gone. Here's the deal. You were bought with a price. Jesus gave everything for you. Do not you dare sell your body and your heart for some cheap fling. If they're not a man or woman after God's own heart, they don't get to be a man or woman after your heart. You're all saying amen now. But then you're texting the dude with the like, you don't need 10 snap streaks with the opposite gender, okay? Anyways, that's besides the point. You're saying amen now, you better listen to me later when they come a knocking. We are called to look for a spouse, not a fling. You're all amen, and I, I better see the most pure group of people on the planet in this group. Uh, getting me fired up. Anyways, with all this said, I think it's very easy to fall into one of two traps when we're looking for someone to date. The first trap is what we've just been talking about. It's having too low of standards. You are a son or daughter of King Jesus. Value yourself the way he values you. Have enough standards for who you date. But there's a second trap. Sometimes I think we have too high of standards. You know the people with the list. It's like 30 things long. You're like, okay, check. They need to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They need to read their Bible every single day. I don't do that, but they better. They need a six-pack. They need a 4.0, even though I'm flunking out, and they better be able to sing. Like, have some grace. If you're expecting perfection, you're probably going to be single for a little bit. So we got to have a happy medium. We need to find out if this person could be the one. So let's say you meet this person and gosh darn it, they better love Jesus. And if they do, and you're ready to maybe date them, what do you do? We have two options. You can either stalk them on Instagram or you can ask them to get coffee or something like that. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and like go on a date. 
Because going on a date is different from like booing up and doing things in your dorm loft that you know you shouldn't be doing. Go on a date though. That's okay. It's not sinful to get to know people if they love, well, you can get to know people that don't love Jesus. It's not romantically. Anyways, if you're smart about it and you go on date on a date with someone and it doesn't go well, you lose nothing because you weren't dumb about it. You didn't cross lines and you didn't make it weird. So ask them on a date. If it's kind of awkward, just move on with your life. But the only way you'll know is if you ask them on a date. Some of you guys out there, you need to get some courage and ask her out. She's been looking at you all semester anyways. With all the, <laughs> the ladies, don't say amen. That, you're showing yourself. <laughs> with all this said, we need to be intentional. We should not, hear me, we should not be texting multiple guys or girls like bouncing around trying to find the one. No, we intentionally pursue one person. That doesn't work out, that's okay, but at least you're intentional. So let's say you find someone. They love Jesus, and then you decide to start dating. Now what? How do you date well? When you're dating someone, it's like you're driving a car. There's three gas pedals in this car that are gonna push you to speed up your relationship, and they're gonna take you to one of three destinations. So a great first step before you start dating is you need to figure out how long you want to date. If you don't want to get married for like five years, you need to go real slow. Like put the car in neutral slow. Maybe like get out of the car and wait two years to start dating slow. You need to have some kind of timeline to know how fast your gas pedals can go. Can we put the diagram up? Come on. Amber made that. Let's give her a round of applause. She's great. All right. These three gas pedals, physical intimacy, time, and spiritual intimacy. When you do these three things over here, they speed up your relationship and they send you faster towards either marriage, towards breaking up, or towards sin. Those are only three options. There's no happy medium. Sorry, that's the way it goes. I didn't make it up. I just listened to Jesus. Because marriage is the destination that all relationships are supposed to head to. That's the way God designed it. God designed it that as we progress in a relationship, we should culminate in marriage. So as we push these gas pedals, we're going to either have to get married, break up, or we're going to naturally fall into sin. If you're unsure if you're pushing these gas pedals too quickly, I'm about to talk about, ask a friend. Ask your small group or your small group leader or your outside perspective. They probably have an opinion. <laughs> you might be too infatuated to answer this question honestly. Let's go to the gas pedals. Gas pedal number one is time. So when we are dating, it's very tempting to want to spend all of our time with this person. And the more time we spend together, the more intimate we're going to become with each other, which is going to push us towards one of those three destinations. As we date, we need to set boundaries for how much time we spend together. If we spend all of our time with this new significant other, not only are we just tempting ourselves, but we're also going to fail to live missionally, we're going to fail to spend time with God, we're going to lose out on community, and we're going to become so insanely attached to someone who's not our spouse. There's no need to have a daily date night when you're dating. Some people who date spend more time together than Taylor and I do. We live together. So that's, watch your time. It's okay. It's okay to spend time with people. I'm not saying you have to like not stare at them and like have like a one minute date day. Not that. But like, let's have some balance. Amen. Let's go to gas pedal number two, spiritual intimacy. This looks like when you pray together, when you're having deep spiritual conversations together, when you do like your devotional time together, doing these things aren't necessarily wrong, but they definitely push your relationship deeper and they make it more intimate. So if you're wanting to take it slow, which is a very good idea, you should probably not pray together for hours like holding hands, rubbing each other's back, like deliver him from his issues. Yes, Jesus, we're not praying. Like that's just gonna push you guys closer, like no hug prayers, like we're not pushing our physical boundaries for praying. No, yes, you are. Anyways, for example, as you and your small group start doing more spiritual things together, you start becoming closer, right? 
The same thing happens in romantic relationships. So don't go too fast. Keep your own private devotional life. Gas pedal number three, everyone's favorite, physical boundaries. I'm going to talk all about this in two weeks, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But as Jesus followers, we are called to live sexually pure lives. Sexual activity is only healthy in the context of marriage. Any sort of sexual activity outside of the container of marriage is outside of God's design for our lives. I'll explain why in a couple weeks. When we are dating, we need to have strong physical boundaries which keep us from sexual sin. And side note, sexual sin is not just like getting a homer and going all the way. Sexual sin is anything that causes you to lust. We'll talk about that in two weeks. The church culture says, just don't have sex for marriage and you're fine. That's not what Jesus says ever. But again, I'm giving spoilers for two weeks away. But sometimes we think, Derek, you don't get it. The way I show and receive love is through physical touch, sexual activity of this person. We think it's loving when we give our bodies for pleasure. It's how we connect. But in actuality, if we're seeking someone who will just please us sexually, we're seeking someone who's actually selfish. Because as Jesus followers, when we do sexual activity outside of marriage, we're sinning and we're farther from God. So when someone causes you to do sexual things, they're causing you to be further from God, which shows they care more about momentary pleasure than your intimacy with King Jesus. That doesn't seem like selfless love to me. That seems like selfish, not sacrificing. Find someone who cares more about your relationship with Jesus than they care about you pleasing them sexually. Vice versa is true as well. When you cause someone else to sin, you're not loving them well. If we truly loved someone, we would sacrifice our sexual pleasure to help them have a better relationship with Jesus. If I could sum all this up in one picture, it would be this. That is how we are to push the gas pedals. That's from SpongeBob. That is a single toe. That's as fast as you should go. Amen? That's good, yes. I know what you're all thinking. First, you're thinking that's a dumb picture. I have, I, anyways, here's the deal. I know this sounds great in our heads, but I also know this is really hard to hear in our hearts. And I know it's even harder to practice. I care about this topic a lot. The reason being is because dating poorly impacted my soul more than anything else in the world. Like I said, when I was a senior in high school, I had a girlfriend that was not good for me. She did not love Jesus. She told me she prayed like once. And I was like, oh, we're good now. I told myself I could change her, that she would come to church with me. I told her that it's fine. I made excuses. I wasn't ready for this relationship, and neither was she. And it led to so much destruction. We crossed a ton of sexual boundaries. I hurt her, and she hurt me. I created so much pain for myself because I chose momentary happiness rather than doing God's best. So I don't share these ideas to shame you and say, I'm better than you. Date like I did. No, I sucked at dating. I'm not judging you at all. I've been in every one of your shoes. I've seen firsthand the pain of dating poorly, but I've also seen the joy in finding a godly spouse. You can do it. Our culture says that you can't honor God in your relationship, that you have to try it out before you commit, that you need to explore, that you need to have fun in college, go make out with a bunch of people. This culture has created a society with so much romantic 
brokenness. I don't want my relationship to look anything like the world around me. There are so many children who do not have a father in their home. There's so many couples who get divorced. There's so much cheating. There's so many people who are married and addicted to pornography. And there's woman after woman after woman who goes to church without her husband because he cares more about the NFL than he cares about the kingdom of God. And I want more for you than that. I'm not interested in this society's context of dating. I want when you're at your wedding day for you to be able to say, we did it. We honored God. We did it the right way. And my spouse is about to push me closer to Jesus than I ever could have my own. I want you to value your body the way that God does. To treat it like the temple, the dwelling place of God that it is. I want you to be proud of the way you handled your time in singleness and dating. I don't want you to be foolish. And I know some of you, you're feeling patient and you're like, I actually trust the Lord. He's going to bring me his spouse when I want one. Great, thank you for you. But I also know ultimately many of us, or you, I guess this isn't me, are deeply worried about finding your future spouse. I feel for you. I get it. When I was 16 years old, I cried because I hadn't met my soulmate yet on the way home from football practice. That's embarrassing. I was a weirdo. So I get it. I promise you, no matter how weird you feel like you've been about finding a spouse, But see, Jesus gives us this command. It has to do with all of life, and I think it really helps us with dating. It says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. God knows you want a spouse. Will you trust him in his timing? Don't force something. Don't try to convince yourself they love Jesus if they don't. If they love Jesus, you wouldn't have to convince yourselves. You'd be trying to catch up with them on the racetrack towards God. Don't try to make something work just because you're lonely and want attention. I know it's hard. Let God be your fulfillment. Have patience. Will you trust God? When the time is right, I promise you, you'll meet them. Don't stay up all night worrying you're going to miss them. That's not going to happen. God's not going to let you miss someone like you're blind. Oh, I was supposed to marry that one person. Now I'm screwed forever. I shouldn't have said that. Anyways, because you sitting there worrying about finding your future spouse actually doesn't help anything. Don't worry about who your spouse is going to be. Instead, worry about the person you're becoming. Seek Jesus. Focus on placing your identity in being a son or daughter of God. Because if two people will start dating that their identities are not rooted in Jesus, there'll be so much pain as they try to seek value from each other. The number one way to be ready to date is have your value come from Jesus alone and to not feel the need for a romantic partner. When we become disciples of Jesus, he becomes the king of our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, you do not get to hold anything back from him. I think if I'm honest, many of us, we're willing to give God our time. We'll read the Bible. We'll serve. We'll serve in the Connect team or the worship team. I'll go to small group. I'll stop partying. I'll do all these things. Jesus, you can have everything, but we want to hold back our love. For some reason, that's the one thing that we don't want to give God access to. Maybe it's because it's an idol in our lives. We say, Jesus, you can speak into everything except who I'm dating. We want to be able to date who we want, how we want, when we want. We want to be able to date unintentionally. We want to be able to do whatever we want sexually. But the call of Christ, the invitation to follow Jesus, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, is the invitation to come and die. To die to self so you can live to Jesus. We don't get to hold anything back from God if we want to live in his kingdom. You don't get to own your dating life. Jesus owns that too. The main idea tonight is dating must be intentional. 
And if you're here and you're thinking about pursuing a relationship, you must ask yourself, are you ready? Then if you find someone, you need to be intentional, figure out if they're the person that could be your future spouse. And if I'm honest, I don't believe that you have one specific soulmate. I think it's all about if you just honor God and you're intentional about the way you do things and pursue people, that there's a lot of people who could end up being a healthy spouse for you. So don't get worried about missing out your soulmate. That's not biblical. It actually comes from Greek mythology. But anyways, if you love Jesus, you'll find a good spouse if you honor him. Or maybe you're here and you're dating and you're wondering how to do it well. Don't push the gas pedals. Don't spend all your time together. Don't push yourself spiritually closer together than you need to. You've got other people in your life for that. And do not cross physical boundaries. Just use the big toe. Or maybe you're here, and as we talk about all this, you're feeling a lot of shame for the way you've dated in the past. Maybe you've come to college, and you found yourself spending too much time in your dorm room making out with random people. Or you found yourself crossing boundaries in a relationship. Or you found yourself seeking your identity through a relationship, and you're feeling shameful right now. That's not the goal. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the beauty is that even when we date terribly, we can have a new future. Because Jesus loved you so much that he died on a cross to forgive you of your sins, to cover all your mistakes, including the ones in your dating lives. God's not here to punish you for your past, but instead he does want to give you a better future. And if you love God, you'll want to honor him. Because sin is not the breaking of an impersonal law, but it's breaking the personal heart of God. And God wants you to trust him with your dating lives. See, I pray that Chi Alpha will be defined by healthy marriages and health, healthy families when you leave here. I care about you as a college student. I'll be honest, I care more about you as an adult after this. I don't want to have to come and counsel you because your husband or wife is leaving you or doesn't love Jesus as much. I want to set you up for success now. I want to stand on your wedding day right here. You can be right here. I'll be right here and say, thank you. I like them. They're awesome. Let's get married together. It'll be fun. I pray that none of you will go to church without your spouse. I pray that your future children will have a loving father or a mother that loves Jesus and them. But if we want that future, if we want the beautiful future, we have to date intentionally now. When we just kind of mess around and do whatever we want in our dating lives, it's not only hurting us, it's hurting our future spouse. The worst thing I've had to do in my life is tell Taylor about my sins in the past and my mistakes. And you should tell them because you want to be an open book. That hurt. I hurt her. I hurt the person I care most about. Don't create future pain for yourself that you have to tell your spouse because you got excited one night and want to hang out with someone that you knew you shouldn't have. I want us to be pure and to honor God with our dating. But before we even worry about that, we need to seek first the kingdom of God because our happiness and our fulfillment are not in finding the right person to date. Rather, it's in finding the right king to bow to. And his name is Jesus. I promise you, finding the right partner will not fulfill you. We must choose to prioritize Jesus and his kingdom and trust him that when the time is right, if I seek first the kingdom of God, that Jesus didn't lie to me when he said all else will be added. Stand with me. So we have a response team that's going to go stand in the back, and those are just some leaders and some team members who would love to pray with you. So if any time when we go back into worship, you just feel like you need to go talk to someone, they're back there to pray with you and talk with you. They're here for you. But I want to give us a couple ways to respond. So if you're here tonight, and even before you start worrying about finding someone who's in the family of God, you need to be in the family of God. And maybe you're feeling shame for maybe dating sins or just sins in general, and you want to be washed clean as snow and you want to be made clean for God, 
I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if that's you and you haven't given your life to Jesus ever, or if maybe you ran from God and you want to run back to him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an outward sign to God that you want to be all in with him. So that's you. You want to give your life to Jesus in the count of three. Raise your hand. One, two. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you that we have new life in you. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The second way I want us to respond is if you're here tonight and you're feeling any sort of shame or you feel like you've been trying to find your identity through dating or trying just really worrying about those things, I just want as we go into this worship song to give that to God. Speak it out loud to him and say, Jesus, you can have my dating. You can have it all, God. And if you're struggling with shame or anything like that, I highly encourage you to either go talk to someone in the back or talk to your small group leader. You can pull them aside right now. They'd love to talk to you right now on one of the sides. You can do that. Go speak to someone. Don't what's happening in here stay in here. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your worthiness. Thank you that you've created a way for us to date well and that we can have godly marriages. I pray for godly relationships. I pray that when people look at the dating relationships in Chi Alpha, they're going to see people who honor you above all else. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.